Man, I love Manhattan. This is actually where I was going to come to school originally, back when I was going to be an architectural engineer. But sadly, change of degree, change of plans, and I ended up dropping out of KU anyway. So it's <laughs> it all worked out in the end. Um, man, I'm just excited to be here, uh, not just because of like everybody here in this room and what God does in this city like right now and today, but the big picture. So like Jonathan said, my name is Josh. I've worked with Call to Greatness for a decade this year. And a lot of you guys probably know this, but we're going to say it again. Like Call to Greatness, both as part of Bluemont Church and in our other churches in our network, man, we exist to do a few things. And that's to help students discover God on the campus, to see that he has a purpose and a plan and a destiny on their lives. And then for us to live as disciples together in the context of a local church and then go out and change the world. Whether that's here in Manhattan, in our city, our jobs, um, across the state, across the U.S., or even across the world, like we believe that the kingdom of God is our primary export here with Call to Greatness and Bluemont in our churches. So I say that not because I think anybody here doesn't know that, but maybe some of you guys have heard of the saying that familiarity breeds contempt. It's this idea that once you've been face-to-face with something on like a, a weekly or even a daily basis for long enough, you grow blind to it. You stop realizing what makes it significant or special or really even seeing that it's something worth fighting for. So that's what I wanted to start off with, is just to remind us, like, what God's doing here at Bluemont in the city of Manhattan and called the greatness here at K-State, it's worth fighting for. It's significant. It's historic. It is actually changing people's lives in a way that will never be undone. So all that to say, to set the stage for this idea of faith over fear. Faith over fear. Because fear is going to be, it has been historic. Oh, sorry. A little hot there. It has been historically, and it will continue to be one there we go, one of our greatest I like opposing forces in the kingdom of God is this fear, fear of lack, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of sickness, death, you name it. Fear is like one of the greatest enemies that we have in this fight to expand the kingdom of God through what we're doing here in Manhattan and around the world. So that's what I was psyched to hear that you guys are doing this message series on overcoming fear. We had talked about something similar uh, back at KU where I work at the start of the semester just to start off on a high note and say, you know what, look, regardless of what's happening in this pandemic, in the geopolitical climate, even here in town in Lawrence, Kansas, it's a crazy place. I'll tell you more about that later. Regardless, like, we have to start off with a position of faith and pushing back against fear. So this picture up here is not meant to be a fraction, even though it looks like one. Um, for you math nerds out there, because I am one as well, love for Jonathan in the back, it's not meant to be a fraction. It's meant to be a word picture. And the picture that this is, what this is meant to portray is this idea that in the kingdom of God, like King Jesus is over all, the kingdom is over any other way of living this life, and faith, as a result of that, is always superior to fear. Like in all circumstances, all contexts, whatever it is, faith is always superior to fear, both just in its own nature, in the fruit and the results of what it brings, um, faith is over fear. And that's the way we want to live, is choosing faith over fear. Now, all that said, and I think we'd all agree to that, like no one wants to choose fear over faith. Like, no one's excited to make that choice on a Even though we know fear could be bad for us, I would like to suggest that most all of us in this room, myself included, have become addicted to fear. We've become addicted to fear. It has become our default emotional response to the world around us. And I don't just say that off the cuff. Like, I was exposed to some, kind of some shocking statistics over winter break this year. That was in line with this idea of this fear addiction. So according to Gallup, which Gallup is just like a national polling agency, 41.5% of adults in the United States have anxiety. 41.5%. That number skyrockets all the way up to 70% for adults worldwide. 
And then according to the American Psychological Association, the APA, rates of anxiety and depression among American adults were about four times higher during 2020 and 2021 as they were in 2019. Okay, the data is there, it's very clear. Like we have become addicted to fear, not just in this country, but even around the world through these last three or four years, not just the last two. And we've got media outlets of all types, from your, your long-standing legacy or mass media, even to social media and the see, things you see posted on a daily basis, have all taken this narrative of fear, whether it's around the coronavirus and its pandemic, or even like Jonathan said, this conflict between Russia and Ukrainian forces, whatever, it, whatever message they can take and multiply and magnify, man, it's the same narrative of fear. Everywhere we hear things like stay safe, take precautions, don't risk it, keep your distance, and just, just be cautious, you know, play it safe. So, and before this, these, this idea of the, the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, before the coronavirus pandemic, the reason I said the last three to four years is even our modern crusade against racism has trained us to be fearful. Like cancel culture has embedded fear as a natural emotion in our day-to-day -day lives. Like, I'm afraid I'll get canceled for posting this joke. I'm afraid of being called a racist. I'm afraid of even asking questions that might challenge the narrative of privilege and oppression. I saw that you guys have a, a couple copies of the book, Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice. Like, if any of you guys in this room have read that, you'll understand this, the, the goal of this modern crusade against racism is just to produce fear and division. So, like, fear has been extremely comfortable and normal to us, whether we like it or not, for the last five years, I'd say. We've become addicted to it. And our pastor, John McDermott, which I think you, a lot of you guys have met him and he's come here to speak as well, he's got this term for this, this prevalent cultural addiction to fear, um, and what he calls it, and it's not just him, he's seen it used by social scientists, cultural commentators, other people, but it's this idea of fear porn. Now that might be really uncomfortable to say, like that's, it should shock you, that's a, that's a gritty way to describe it, but it's fear porn. And the reason we call it that is because in the same way that the other kind of like pornographic material is addictive, even though we know that it's damaging to our souls and to our society. In the same way, we're addicted to this thing called fear, even though we know it's damaging, even though we know it limits us and the, the terrible consequences, not just of us as individuals, but even on families and society. Like, we're still addicted to it. It's this horrible thing that we can't break free of. So fear is addictive. We know that much, and we've been trained to crave it and to see it as normal. So what do we do? What do we do as a response? Do we just, man, swing the pendulum, as far as we can to the other direction and just be like boundless optimists and just think that, man, the glass is always half full, never half empty, things will always work out. Man, when I read a fortune cookie, it's only gonna be good news. Like, what's the response to fear? Well, before we get into the response, I wanna acknowledge like, man, people through these last two years, people have gotten sick and died from coronavirus. Like, I know people who've been permanently impacted, not just for like longstanding symptoms and other health issues that flared up, but people who have passed away because of the illness. Like, I know people who've done that. And I know that people today are actually dying and have already died, and there's going to be long-standing consequences because of this conflict over in Asia, southern Asia, between Ukraine and Russia. Like, I'm not, I'm not denying any of these real and legitimate circumstances or causes for concern. But, and this is the most important thing for today, if you remember nothing else, like, remember this. Even amidst all these circumstances, these terrible things that have been happening in various ways across the world, and even in our own, our own communities in our back door, Fear is still unreasonable. Fear is not a reasonable response to what we see in the world today. Fear is unreasonable. It's not helpful. It's toxic. It's poisonous. Um, in these last two years, the effects of fear have done far more damage than any virus or global conflict or structural racism, you name it, any issue that we've been taught to fear. 
fear itself has done far more damage than any of those individual things could do on their own. Fear is actually our greatest enemy through all of these things as members of the kingdom of God. So when I think back to my, like I said, my college experience of coming up to KU, and I think of like, man, where was I my senior year, like looking forward to coming up to Lawrence? Um, I had hope for the future. Like I had hope for tomorrow, things that may seem really foreign and rare for us now. Um, I was confident that there were great things ahead, and I really, I just couldn't wait to get started. I was excited for this whole new world that was opening up in front of me, like what my, my life was going to look like. Now that feeling of hopeful anticipation, this excitement for the future, it might be pretty foreign to a lot of us in our daily experiences lately. Um, even today, as you think about your individual future, excitement might be on the bottom of the list of emotions. Or this morning when you woke up to get ready and come here, maybe the first thing you felt when your feet hit the floor was apprehension or anxiety or doubt of some kind. I, man, whether we like it or not, fear is our normative experience. But fear is unreasonable. And it's unreasonable because, man, it holds you back. It cripples us. And I think we've all experienced these things, even if we've never put words to it. Um, fear holds us back. It cripples us. It narrows our vision. We're only able to see the worst possible outcomes when we're being led by fear as our dominant emotion. Um, it suppresses our imagination. And the crazy thing about fear is it's not just mental or emotional. Fear is actually physiological. Like your body's ability to fight off disease, your immune system is weakened during prolonged experiences of anxiety and fear and depression. Like it's not just this emotion, it's physiological. It's important to know that fear is toxic to our brains and our bodies. And that's why fear is unreasonable. So let's look. If, sorry, Matt. Uh, if you haven't been convinced yet, let's look at a few specific reasons why fear is unreasonable. So this is what fear looks like on a daily basis. It avoids risk. It's self-centered. It weakens. It restricts thought. And it retreats. I really don't want to ever be described by any of those five conditions. <laughs> not an exciting thing on a resume. It's not a fun way to be introduced. It's just it's not a good look in your social media bio. Like you don't want any of these words associated with you or this lifestyle. Like I think we can all agree, fear is not just unreasonable, but it is unhelpful. Ten times out of ten. So what do we do? What choice do we have if if the other option isn't just this boundless optimism, this blind hope that things are going to turn out just fine? What is our response? What is the alternative? Well. I think, and I think we all agree because of this series, faith is our only option. The only way to truly overcome fear in like a true way that's founded on like right biblical principles and actually works in the real world for more than 30 minutes at a time is to fight fear with faith. Fight fear with faith. So let's look at kind of the contrast is what faith produces in our life. So faith, instead of avoiding risk, it says, man, I'm not worried about taking a risk because I want to cause growth. And if I had to take a risk, but I'm going to be better for it on the other side, let's do it. Faith is other-centered. Like Jonathan, I just love that word he gave during worship this morning that, man, fear really does cause us to be obsessed with ourselves. But faith is like, man, what, what is God doing in the lives of people around me, and how can I be a part of that? So faith gets you to be other-centered outside of yourself. Faith strengthens you, not just physiologically like we talked about, but, man, it gives you the strength of the Lord, the strength to go out and do hard things and endure discomfort because of the greater thing that you're putting your faith in. Faith fosters wisdom. So not just a faith in God, like in a big picture sense, but a faith that God wants to work and to act and to educate you in every area of your life. Man, that wisdom is only accessible through the mindset of faith. Like whoever seeks to please God must have faith. So faith also fosters wisdom. And then finally, faith advances. No matter what circumstances may tell us, conventional wisdom or even sometimes common sense, to be frank, we might think is telling us to shrink back, and to play it safe, to be on the defense, 
may have faith regardless of the circumstances, says, no, like my God is moving forward. God's kingdom is always advancing regardless of circumstances, so I'm going to advance. I'm not going to pull back. I'm not going to take it easy or take a, take a season of just waiting and not trusting God for growth and advancement of his kingdom. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to be on the move because I'm not afraid. I'm actually full of faith that now is the time for me to be involved in these things. Now is the time for God to act. And my faith says, hey, put me in there so I can be a part of that plan also. So that's the difference between living by fear on the one hand, which is it's weakening, weakening, it makes you passive, scared, self-centered, all these things, versus living by faith, which makes you not just healthy and like in touch with God and his plan for human flourishing, but you get to actually be a part of the game of changing life and culture and lives and society. Because faith is the only way that's reasonable to live. But not just because I say so. Let's look at a couple of examples of why faith is the only reasonable response. So, who says so? And also, faith, we should be asking, like, okay, what do you mean by faith? Faith in whom or in what? Or what do you mean by faith? What does that look like? So, for the answer to this, we're going to look at this verse in the Bible, uh, Hebrews 10, 38. So, this, again, what this might be duh for most of us here, but I want to make sure we're on the same page, that we're looking at the Bible for the answer to this question, because the Bible is fundamentally our main source for truth and reality. Like, we're not just going to look at one, some, like, convincing motivational speaker or some feel-good book or even this person that seems successful says about, hey, here's how I overcome fear in ten different ways. Like, that all might be helpful, you know, but ultimately we have to look to the Bible because it's a source of truth and reality in all areas of life. So, we're going to look at this, Hebrews 10, 38. Let's look at this first. And Hebrews is actually a book that more than most books of the Bible focuses exclusively on faith and what it looks like and how men and women have lived by faith in the past. So Hebrews 10.38 says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. My righteous one shall live by faith. So faith is a clear belief in God as the ultimate reality. It's an active trust in God, not just in who he says that he is, but also because of that, a faith that God will continue to do what he said he will do because he's been doing that for thousands of years since all of creation. Like, God is who he says he is. He's going to do what he said he will do. And our, like, active belief in that is faith. It's a trust that, okay, God, you are real, and I can trust what you're doing. So it's a loyalty to God, this idea of believing loyalty and allegiance. It's a commitment to live in the way that God has created us to live. And it's a powerful thing because, like I said earlier, it connects us not just to God, but it connects us to God's work in this world so that we can partner with him in the family business is one way of saying it. So from these verses, what do we learn about the proper role of faith in our lives? We're to live by faith. That shrinking back, being afraid, hedging our bets, playing it safe, that all of these things are the same thing as being fearful, living by fear instead of faith. But when we live by faith, God takes joy in us, which what a, what a statement that is, that God, not just we take joy in God, but God takes joy in us. Like, when we choose to live by faith, like, even a small decision today to choose faith over fear, like, that brings God joy. That's wild. Like, the God that's managing all of creation can see your step of faith today over fear and say, man, I'm excited about that. I'm here for that. I want to partner with that. Like, that's amazing. So these verses teach us how to live practically every day, and that's to live by faith for the, the growth and expansion of God's kingdom. But if we shrink back, like it says, if we live by fear, we both dishonor God, and he takes displeasure in us, and he's not excited for us. Um, and the potential that our lives have, or even the experience that we're living now. So I think that's a pretty clear argument. Like, we could probably call it a day here. Like, all right, live by faith, check. It's worth it. It's going to produce good things. But it's easy to say that, to talk about these big ideas like faith and fear on a Sunday morning and say, man, I want to live by faith. 
but then you get two or three days into the week and you're at work and you're on a deadline or you're at home with the kids and you're stressed about the way the world is and what kind of climate you're raising your kids in or your bills come in at the end of the month and you say, oh my God, where that, where is that going to come from? Like, faith and fear are big ideas, but I think we do well to connect to small daily examples. So that's what we want to look at next is some more examples from the Bible, of course, of like what daily faithfulness and daily fear look like so that we know a few days from now as we're going about our week that God has given us, oh man, this is a place that I've been choosing fear. I'm going to choose faith here. I know what this looks like. I get this. Okay? Cool. Look at a few other examples. Um, and actually, you know what? Before we get there, I'm gonna, I did have a couple other examples from my own life now that I say that. Um, so before we look at this guy named Peter, whose life we're going to examine, because Peter in the Bible, he's just a perfect case study of like a life lived in fear and then a life lived in faith. But before we get there, just to make some of those practical examples for us, um, my wife and I have been trying to live out this practice of faith over fear a lot. And like I said, we live in Lawrence, Kansas. We've lived there for 12 years now together, um, both before we were married and now. And I tell you what, Lawrence is a nutty city, man. <laughs> like, I'm sorry if you're born if you've still got people you like there. I love Lawrence. I don't want to move. I've got a lot of faith for this city. Like, I believe that God's work, in the same way that God is working in Manhattan, he's working in Lawrence, and there's some really cool things happening. <laughs> it's a crazy place, man. So what we've seen is that our faith or fear is, man, it's a fight. It's not just a choice we get to make on our own, and, oh, our family's going to live by faith, and it's going to be great. It's, no, if we choose faith, there's going to be daily opposition. So, for example, something that we've been doing is instead of, like, avoiding conversations with people that we see up on campus, around the community, um, that may look different than us, act differently than us, believe differently, um, whatever it is, even some of the specific examples, wear masks, don't wear masks, are strict on social distancing, are strict on social distancing, all these different things, believe in Jesus and are open to it or, like, are actively opposed to anything religious or, like, not atheistic, whatever it is. Like, we have a lot of chances every day to be fear-driven or faith-driven. So something we've chosen to do lately um, is that we've chosen to go to our community. So it would be really the Lord grow in our I could say, man, they're younger, they haven't been following Jesus. You know, what a great way to spend my time. That seems reasonable. That seems like that'd be faith-filled. But Ashley and I decided that that's actually fear because we're hiding behind what's comfortable because we don't want God to stretch us and we don't want to go out and take a risk and be new people in our city. Got support here. You're good. I know how it works. Thanks, Brad. There we go. Ooh little better. So instead of that, instead of using all these things we see in our city and the types of people we're around as an excuse to shrink back in fear, we're instead saying, all right, great, we're going to move towards lost people and on campus and our community, even if it's hard and it's scary and it takes risks. So for example, we began having conversations and getting to know two families that our daughter helped us meet through like a, a weekly daycare she goes to once a morning. One of the couples is just, man, salt of the earth, really fun, wonderful people. They own a bar and grill there in town, but they're like 
pretty strong atheists. Like, man, not only is God not real, but if you believe in God, you're intellectually weak and you're lazy and you just don't want to address life. Like, it's a cop-out. It's like, all right, cool. Like, if I was afraid of being rejected, I would not willingly engage those people in conversation. <laughs> like, let alone be like, hey, let's hang out. Let's be buddy-buddies. So you can just tell me I'm an idiot every time I see you. I love this. I need more friends like this. Like, I'm not here for that. That's not, <laughs> that's not a fun way to live. Um, and then we've got another couple who they are very, like, man, they're very woke. They're very aware of this cultural moment. They're very, like, pro, um, pro-reparations, pro-BLM, pro this social justice narrative, of even of cancel culture of, like, man, if you disagree with us, you're not just wrong, but you're wicked, and you don't deserve to talk to anybody. You should be shunned from society. So in the same way, it's like, man, this is not going to be the most fun conversation I've had this week, like, talking about the kingdom of God and believing in Jesus, and even, like, man, what is justice? What does that mean? Like, this is not the way I wake up, like, looking forward to spending my time. But, like, if I only chose fear and Ash and I said, you know what, this is not going to be fun or easy. I'm afraid of the discomfort and the cost or even, like, whatever other risks that are involved. If I'm afraid of that, we wouldn't be doing these things. But we decided, God, we can't keep running away from these opportunities. We've got to start living in faith. So that's what it's looked like for us. Like, even now, Ashley and I are not 10 times out of 10 every day choosing faith. Like, the battle for faith over fear is daily for us, moment by moment. We have a lot to learn to make this, like, our natural disposition to have faith. So if you're sitting here and listening to this and saying, man, I feel like I'm fearful more than I'm, a f- I'm faithful. Like, I feel like this, I've got a long way to go in this. Like, yes, we all do. <laughs> it's what, part of the process is daily decisions. I don't know if this battle is ever done, if we ever by default, by reflex, live by faith like this, or if we just spend the years of our life choosing faith on a daily basis. But either way, like, be encouraged, because even if you feel like fear is 90% of how you live your day, man, you got a lot of room to work then. There's a lot of really cool things that God is going to begin to do in your life. So let's look at that example from the story of Peter, like I was talking about. Um, so Peter was a um, Peter was a Jew, so he lived in the ancient Near East, in the Middle East, around the time of Jesus, and uh, he was a fisherman, so a tradesman, worked with his hands a lot, again, salt of the earth, uh, pretty rough and tumble guy, uneducated, an average Joe, like myself and most people uh, these days, just average Joe living in his day and age. But just like us, Peter was also addicted to fear. So let's look at uh, a defining moment of Peter's life that he actually lived in fear. So, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Oh, that sucks. Peter was afraid and got roasted for it in front of all of his friends. <laughs> like, miserable, man, in front of everybody. Peter tries to, you know, pull Jesus aside and, hey, Jesus, this is not smart. We've got a good thing going. Like, don't ruin it. And then Jesus just turns around and just loud enough so that all disciples could hear. He's like, you bum. Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is not my plan. This is the enemy's plan. Like, get behind me, Satan. What a miserable <laughs> experience that would have been for Peter. Um, but what was going on in Peter's head? What was he thinking? Well, I'd say he was living by fear. He was thinking that all this fame and success and even the level of notoriety that him and the disciples had gained, like as a result of Jesus' public ministry, was going to tank. Like he had, he had a good thing going. He had purpose in his life. He had a fun group of guys changing the world. And what do you mean, Jesus, they're going to kill you and we're going to scatter? Like, I'm not here for that. Like, that sounds scary. No, we have to avoid that at all costs. Jesus, let's be reasonable and choose fear. 
So this story might feel familiar, like whether it's the idea of getting called out for that in front of people or like using fear as an excuse to hedge your bet and to shrink back from what God is asking of you. Like this might be familiar to us. I know it's familiar to me. That's shrinking back, like Hebrews 10, 38 talks about. So I think by now we might have had some memories come up of moments like this. And I want us to be honest with those memories of times where we've lived in fear and like the Holy Spirit bringing those things uh, to our memories. But don't just stay there. Like just like we're going to see from Peter's story here in a minute, just because we lived by fear in the past or even if we're living by fear today, like we don't have to stay there. Like now can be the moment where that changes, where faith becomes the dominant experience of your life, where your emotion every day is, man, hope and excitement and like a passion to partner with God in the future on a daily basis. So let's have faith just like Peter did. And let's see how Peter turned the corner from a really rough place in fear to now a place of faith. So this is Peter later. uh, And this is Peter speaking here. So this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and you could say the faith of Peter and John, and saw that they were uneducated, common men, same, uh, they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, man, you must be the judge, for we cannot bespeak of what we have seen and heard. So this is crazy because this is the same Peter. This is the same Peter from just a few, I think a few months earlier maybe, that told Jesus, hey, 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 hold on, hold on. Like any kind of conflict that this is going to cause, like the religious political leaders, man, if this thing's going to end in a train wreck, we need to change the plan. Like I'm afraid of that outcome. Now Peter is saying, look, I'm not afraid. I'm actually full of faith that what we're doing, regardless of your pushback and our consequences, is exactly where we need to be. Like persecution, pushback, rejection, whatever it is, lack, scarcity, deprivation. He's like, I don't care. I'm not afraid of those things because it's causing the growth of the kingdom of God. John and I, we're living by faith, baby. Like, what's the worst that y'all can do? Because we're going to obey God. The rest of that is up to you and your own fearful mindset. Like, this is the same dude a few months later. This is wild. Um, so Peter and John, like, just to set the stage for this a little bit more, back in those days, the criminal justice system was not good. Not good. Uh, so when they were arrested for speaking, they were likely taken in by force, beaten as soon as they were detained, and the prison systems back in this day, they didn't have this nice like four square or three square meals a day. The only way you ate in prison is you had family or friends who brought you food. And you could be held essentially indefinitely until a trial was scheduled, especially with the Roman occupation and oversight. So for all we know, they sat there for a long time without food, tending to their wounds, and still they came out of that experience saying, no, man, I'm full of faith. Let's do this. We're not shrinking back. This is the kingdom advancing, man. This is what we need to have happen. But the key thing about the story is that like this faith-filled response that they said, this, like, not shrinking back, them living by faith as righteous men of God, um, it still seems unreasonable to us at times. It still seems like, oh, man, why would I take all these risks? Why would I go through all these hardships or what's it's going to cost me long-term? Couldn't I just play it safe and have more influence for God down the road? Like, they could have flew under the radar and said, oh, we don't want to anger the officials. We might get kicked out of the city or like what happened later in the the city of Rome where Christians were actually kicked out of the city because they were so, like, rapidly advancing the kingdom of God. They could have said, you know what? It's not worth the risk. Let's be reasonable. But the thing is, fear is unreasonable. Fear and shrinking back and holding back is always unreasonable. But it doesn't sound like that. Like, think about what you might have said or what I, I would have said, just being honest, to Peter after he left jail. 
It might have sounded something like this. Dude, Peter, you need to be a little more careful, bro. Uh, you should have played it safe. If I were you, I would be afraid of getting arrested again. Like, who knows what's going to happen the second time around. Maybe you need to back off a little bit or tailor how you're speaking about Jesus here. Like, all of this public thing, this, these talks that you're doing, man, people are getting angry. I don't think this is worth the risk. That sounds pretty reasonable, right? Like, that sounds like, discre- what is it, discretion is the better part of valor? This sounds like caution and, and being reasonable with your decisions. But the reality is, this is not good advice. This is the worst advice that someone could have given Peter at the time. And that's because the most reasonable way to live, the safest place to be on this earth, is right in the middle of what God is asking you to do. Living by faith is the safest, most reasonable, most wise, most effective way to live because it was the way we were made to live, regardless of consequences or pushback that come from a broken world that we already know is going to be in opposition to Jesus and his kingdom and to us as a result of that. So again, I'm not saying that pain is not real. Like, tragedy is real. Loss is real. Even death and sickness and all these things and rejection that we face, we face on a daily basis, they're all real. Like, I'm not saying that any of that can be ignored. But I am saying that even in the face of all those things, man, fear is still unreasonable. It's still not the right response. It's still not the way that God intended for us to live to change this world, not just for our own lives, but for the people around us. Faith over fear is the only reasonable response. And Peter and his friends, like we saw in the story and the transformative work of the Holy Spirit through Peter's life, that's really what turned the corner for him is, man, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and getting activated and seeing the big picture of, wow, God, I see what's going on now, and I want to be a part of it. We can have that same experience of choosing faith over fear on a daily basis. So let's do that. Let's choose faith today, just like Peter did back then. Let's start by, like, repenting and apologizing to God for those specific areas where we choose to live in fear, even today. Like, just repent. And ask God to help you to never shrink back again. Never again will I be afraid in this area. So let us become men and women of faith for our community here, for the campus, for the city, for all the above. Like, we want to see God's kingdom advanced here. We're going to do it by faith. So before we, we finish, there's just three specific fears I think is important for us to, to call out by name so that we know what they look like when they come out in our life. So the first is one that I've touched on already. It's this fear of man or fear of rejection. It's this idea that Man, we've all got people in our lives, whether they're friends, family, or coworkers, or just people we've met, that we're going to be afraid to challenge. Maybe it's the friend of yours, uh, and they're sleeping together, and you know that's not the way God created us to work in relationships. Uh, maybe they claim to be an atheist. Or maybe it's that friend who says they're a follower of Jesus, but you can see about every weekend that that is not the case, that Jesus is not king of their life, that they are actually king of their life still. Um, these are the kind of people that we have to practice walking out of our fear of man or fear of rejection, speaking the truth to people in love in a way that's uncomfortable. And even if the friendship ends or you're called ignorant, stupid, or lame, that might happen. I've had that happen. Even then, we've got to choose faith over this fear of rejection and choose to call our friends out and to call our friends higher so that they too can meet God in the way that we've met God. That's the goal. So this fear of rejection is one of, I think, the most common fears that we deal with on a daily basis. And the other one is fear of lack or fear of scarcity. So this idea that, man, living generously with your time and resources instead of protecting me and my time and my family and I got to get my stuff together, you know, me first, uh, I got to get mine. Like, that all comes out of this fear of lack or scarcity. Like, at the end of the day, I don't trust God to provide and there's not going to be enough when he comes through. So instead of guarding our money and our time and our relationships and being selfish with them, man, let's open up our lives and live generously and radically. 
in a way that's going to bless other people and give God an opportunity to come in and do something beyond what we can see on the balance sheet. And then the final one, and this one honestly is, is the first time I talked about this at KU. Um, the conflict over in Ukraine and Russia hadn't happened yet. It was just mainly around the coronavirus and this health pandemic. But now, especially with this global conflict and what's happening, and we don't know what's going to happen, this idea of fear of harm or death, it's real. It's a real thing that people are really scared of because it's really happening around the world and locally. But here's the thing about this, this decision to choose faith over fear, is that fear has a really short, long-term view. Fear is only concerned with this life, this immediate life. But we know as members of the kingdom of God that, yes, God has called us to this life with a passion, like to live and to do all that we do for the kingdom of God. And with faith, we also know that all our hope isn't in this life, like that we do that we do because we have this future with Jesus in eternity and this new kingdom and new heavens and new earth. So that's something that the fear of harm and death, even though it's something to be managed to be avoided, like death is not natural, it's still unreasonable to respond in fear. Like, we can have faith through even that because God gives us wisdom on how to live wisely, on how to stay safe and stay healthy if something is going around, or how to make decisions to protect our family and our loved ones in the way that he has given us the responsibility over. But even in face of fear of death, like, or in, in the face of death, fear is not a reasonable response. Even in that, we have faith, and we can move forward. So let's respond like that. Let's do what Peter and John and these people, these men and women that we can read the stories, not just in the Bible, but thousands of men and women throughout history who for their day and age, regardless of their terrible circumstances or the climate that they were alive in, they said, you know what? Fear is unreasonable here. I'm going to choose faith. I'm going to move towards people. I'm going to love people. I'm going to take risks for the sake of people. I'm going to be generous. And I'm going to fight because I believe, God, that the freedom and transformation of the people around me who are still slave to that same fear, that I can be a part of changing that. That, man, if somebody's going to set, if God is going to set somebody free, I want to be a part of that process. So as we continue to overcome fear in Manhattan and this message series, man, as it bleeds over into our day-to-day lives, let's choose faith over fear and advance the kingdom of God here in our city. All right? Let's live by faith. Thank you, guys.